Welcome to the Yotzvi Podcast for this Pasha's Kisisa, Tavshin Peidalet. Sponsorships for this podcast are for our Friday morning Zoom share, or 180 US, 200 Canadian, with both US and Canadian receipts available. This week's podcast, Kisisa, it's not just about October 7th, but it's about today and tomorrow, is dedicated by Mark and Judy Frankel, in loving memory of their son Yehuda Frankel, Moshe Yehuda Sochrona Lebracha Ben Meir Elio, whose fourth yard site is on Chafei Al-Adar. Yehuda and I learned together, and I was always inspired by his commitment to learning, his Erlachkeit, his exceptional Menschlichkeit. May his neshama have an aliyah, and may we continue to be inspired by his glowing example. And, in memory of Lippmann Heller, Yom Tev Lippmann Ben Mishalom Vaibush, whose yard site is on the 17th of Adar, by Paul and Javi Jacobs, I will be forever grateful for the support that the Jacobs and Frankel families have afforded us and the friendships that they continue to afford us. At first, when you look at this parsha and you read about the eagle, you're taken aback, you're struck, you're shocked. How could this be? At this place, this time, Klal Yisrael is sinking and doing something that evokes idol worship. There was so much that they had just experienced, so much redemptive, so much that was positive. Ecstasy, even Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, and Kriyas Yamsav, and Kabbalah's HaTorah. And it's really shortly thereafter, just a few weeks later, and they're sinking into something that evokes idol worship. We can debate, is it idol worship? Many of them say it isn't, and it isn't. But still, it's something that evokes idol worship. How could they do this after ecstasy like that? And that's what the Medrash tells us. This was the generation, the Medrash tells us, that was a Dorodea, that had seen so much, that understood so much, that saw what people don't ever see, and they sank into this. But it's not just the strength that comes with ecstasy. It's the strength that comes with agony. Agony strengthens you. Suffering can strengthen you. It's a Rashi. It's a Medrash, really. It goes back to the Pasuk. Pasuk tells us, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us from where? From Egypt. And what was Egypt? The Pasuk tells us in Vezchanan. Vezchem lokach Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu took us. Veyotzi Eschem. He took us out from where? Mikura Barzel. What is this Kura Barzel? Kura, she tells us, some utensil. Some place where you smelt iron. It becomes very, very hot. It's very difficult. Very painful. But at the very same time, it strengthens you. Agony does that. It strengthens a person. And so we experience the ecstasy, and we experience the agony. And still, we're slipping into idol worship after all that. And you know what? It's deja vu. This isn't the first time the eagle. This happened just a few weeks earlier, right after they left Egypt. Same story, really. Very similar. What is the story there? So the story there is right after they left Egypt, they're approaching the Yamsef, and the Egyptians are pursuing them. And there's no faith, and there's no trust, and there's no belief, and there are complaints. And why are there complaints? Because they don't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to save them. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu did save them. They had just left Egypt. They had seen the Makos, ten Makos, astonishing Makos. They were saved. The Egyptians were struck. And so now, with bitterness, they tell Moshe, Hamibliyein Kvarim, are there no graves in Egypt that you took us out to the desert? There's suffering, there's agony, but they emerge from that. That agony should have strengthened them. And of course, there was ecstasy as well. You had Kriyas Yamsev, the Egyptians were drowned, the Jews were saved. 
you have agony and ecstasy, and it should have strengthened them. It should have made them strong for the long term. But it didn't last. This agony, this ecstasy doesn't last. Later by the eagle, they collapse and they worship the eagle. Here they also collapsed. At the Yamsuf, they collapsed. And they complain and they don't trust. Nothing seems to make them strong. And why not? And so here you have a wonderful idea by Rabbi Tzadik Tzadik tells us, yes, at the Yamsuf, they saw wonderful things. At the Yamsuf, there were also terrible experiences that should have strengthened them. But this didn't strengthen them long term. Why not? Because the Pasuk tells us, he goes back to Chazal, the Mechilta B'Shalach. Mechilta tells us, Rasa Shifchalayam, what a maidservant, someone who wasn't advanced and wasn't educated and wasn't spiritual and wasn't particularly devout. But what did the Shifcha see at the Yamsuf? Mashallah Ra Yecheskel, the great prophet Yecheskel, the greatest of men, she saw more than he saw. But it didn't create a long term effect. Not the salvation, and not the fact that she suffered before and was saved. Not the agony and not the ecstasy. Why not? Because it was derech ria. Because she saw. She experienced. But when you just see something, it's something ephemeral. It's something not lasting. It's something that doesn't bake itself into your soul. If there's nothing tangible about it, it's not going to last. And you'll collapse. And so they collapsed at the Yamsuf, even though they had seen Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. They collapsed later at the Eagle, even though they had experienced Kabbalah Satora. Even though there was so much background, they had seen so much. It didn't create a lasting effect. Why not? Because it wasn't tangible and it wasn't enduring. It was only rasa. For something to last, you need something tangible that you can sink your teeth into. And that's why we were given a Mishkan. It's that very, very important Svarno. Svarno in Parshashmini tells us that at least according to many Rishonim, this is a great debate, of course, Rashi and the Ramban, but according to many Rishonim, the mitzvah of building the Mishkan was given after Chet Egel, and, as the Medrash tells us, as a reaction to Chet Egel. And it almost sounds like if there wouldn't have been Chet Egel, then we wouldn't have had a Mishkan. Can you imagine Yiddishkeit without a place like the Mishkan? Well, perhaps that's what the Sfona seems to say. Things might have been different. We might have been able to reach HaKadosh Baruch Hu everywhere. We might not have been restricted to a Mishkan. We can debate what the Sfona says. We can debate what these Rishonim say. We can debate what Chazal say. But the core idea is, is that there was a change after Chet Egel and perhaps after the other Chatam in the desert. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu showed Klal Yisrael, that you're not going to last as a from people, as a devout people, as a committed people, unless you have something tangible. I'm going to give you something tangible. Esoteric things that don't last, things that don't become tangible, as uplifting as they are, as inspiring as they are, will not create long-term Jewish identity. You collapsed at the Yamsuf because you didn't have tangible Yiddishkeit. You collapsed when Moshe went up to a Kaddish Baruch and didn't come down right away because you didn't have tangible Yiddishkeit. Things were too esoteric, too intangible, too up in the sky, not defined enough. 
HaKadosh Baruch said, I will give you something defined. And maybe that was the plan all along. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch wanted to show them that they needed this defined, tangible Yiddishkeit. Whether it was the plan all along, whether it was a reaction, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw, Klal Yisrael saw, that we need something tangible. As inspirational as something is, if it doesn't become tangible, it's not going to last. The shock of October 7th is still with each and every one of us. And there was terrible, terrible pain and suffering, but there was also inspiration. We are great people, and we are people who give of ourselves without thinking, without questioning. And it's so natural that we don't even notice that there are so many stories of people who are most ineffish without batting an eyelash, sometimes for strangers and sometimes for family members. Let me share one more story. This is for a family member. Shlomo Ron, he was in his kibbutz, Nachalos, and he heard the Risham coming. And he said, what can I do to save my family? So he had them, all the family members, go to the safe room. And he sat himself down in his living room, in his easy chair, waiting. The terrorists burst into the room, and of course they murdered him. But once they murdered him, they didn't go further. They vented, the evil came out, and then they moved on to the next house. And so his family, his wife, children, grandson, hid in the safe room and survived, because their grandfather made this instinctive decision to be most nefesh. So many people did it for family and for strangers. But the way this was done, without even thinking, sort of a simple approach, is inspiring. But that's just about the moment. It's not just, of course, it's Masira's nefesh. But it's not just the moment. It lasts. Anyone who is following Jewish life sees a rise of inspiration. Even secular Jewish journals are talking about the Great Awakening. That's what they're calling it. There are shortages of tzitzis and of tefillin. There's a huge jump in day school enrollment, in a religious observance, in rates of Jewish marriage, in people committing to have children. Everything is changing. And that's long term. That's tangible. That's not just a moment. That's long term. Sure, it's about October 7th. But that's yesterday. It's also about today. And if it's also about today, you can be assured that it's also about tomorrow. Good Shabbos, and with the hope that we'll connect again next week in Yerzah Hashem.